Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. same mission and we've been looking at how our mission is the great commandment and the great commission and we've kind of simple that simplified that down into three words we talked about mission in week one last week we looked at community and this week we're wrapping it up with worship if you have your bibles we're going to be in psalm 95 um if you've missed any of these weeks they should be up online by friday we've got the Week one did not record, so week one won't be there. But last week will be there, and if we can get this week's recording to work, it'll be there. Um, also, if you try to give online this week, you might have seen that the security thing was down. Um, that's happened before, and it was a phone call, and uh, they fixed it within minutes. I noticed it on a weekend, so I haven't had a chance to call them yet. Hopefully, that'll be up on Monday. That business out of the way. <laughs> I want to I want to focus in on worship today. We're going to be in Psalm 95. Um, in the church world, this is called the Venite, which is Latin for O Come, and that's how this uh, passage starts. This psalm is famous when, whenever you're talking about worship and like uh, theology books or uh, Bible school classes. This is kind of the go-to passage. It's kind of, it's famous. It was famous in the early church. They used it. It's quoted often in scripture. It is, it's kind of the worship psalm, even though they're all kind of worships, if that makes sense. So I want to read that and kind of focus in and unpack and see kind of the three things it unpacks for us when it comes in terms of worship and then how we can apply that specifically to us here at Revive. So let's jump in. Psalm 95 verse 1. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the King above all gods, and his name are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did in Meribah, as you did the day that the Messiah 
at the Messiah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with them, with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. That thing takes a turn, right? How great is our God? And then man, this powerful warning about what happens when God isn't the center of our worship. Let's pray as we enter into this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, you'd soften our hearts, that you would mold us and transform us as we dive into this psalm this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this thing kind of looks at worship. It's a famous passage on it. I think it unpacks the kind of three big questions that we kind of go at with all the time, right? And that's, why should we worship? What is worship? And how do we participate in it? It's kind of, it simplifies it very easily. It breaks it apart in this passage. We can kind of go through it. We can see it. And so I want to start there. Why why should we worship? If we look at verse 3, it says that, For the Lord is our great God. He is the great King above all gods. And then it follows verse 3 with the kind of the, these things that, that he is over, right? It, was, it talks about he's the, over the depths of the earth, the mountain peaks, the sea. He formed the land, and it kind of pictures these three things. And what happens is what's going on when this psalm is written is it's in a polytheistic culture, meaning there's many gods, right? They have this culture. They have gods of the sea. They have gods of the land, gods of mountains. God, they have all of these different gods and all these different stories that, that they believe these gods form these different things and are in charge of these different things. And so this psalmist is writing saying, you know, God is above all those gods. God is greater than all of those things. God is the mighty one. He's the one we should focus on. He is the alpha and the omega. And he puts it in that contrast. So these people have all these idols, all these false gods that they're worshiping and they're serving and the psalmist is saying no it is the god of the bible the triune father that we worship and a lot of times we can read that we can think you know what this is not really us and we think you know what maybe in our culture there's a lot of people who say they don't worship anything they don't worship people they don't worship gods they just they kind of go through and they're just trying to seek and and do their best to live life And that's not what this psalm is saying. It's not what scripture is saying. It doesn't divide people between those that worship and those that don't. It divides people by those who worship false gods and those who worship the God. See, we are all worshiping something. Even if if we don't think we are, we are designed for worship and we all focus on something. Now, I'm starting out Uh, with an illustration from Harry Potter. Wow, how far the church has come. (laughs) No doubt you were probably told not to read it when you were younger, right? I was. But Harry Potter, there's this scene in in the book, the first book, and there's a a mirror, and the mirror is called Erised, and this is desire backwards, so it's not real subtle, right? And if you if you look in the mirror, it shows you your greatest desire, right? So Harry Potter, he looks in the mirror and he sees his parents that he never really knew, didn't really, and he can see them. And he sees them looking back at him, and it's just this incredible moment where you see the de- greatest desire of his heart. And he can't believe it. He goes, this is paraphrase. He goes and he gets Ron, right? His buddy Ron. And he he wants to show Ron his parents in the mirror, so he brings Ron up, and Ron looks in the mirror. He doesn't see Harry Potter's parents, 
right? He sees himself as a, a sports star, kind of a leader in the school, very good looking, right? He, he sees his greatest desire. And the thing is, we all have this, this sense of, when we, we all have this thing that we look at. If we were to look in this mirror, it would show us our greatest desire. The thing we worship is the thing that engages our entire being. It's the thing that energizes all that we are. And when we, we, if we were to look in that mirror, it would show us what we worship. And what would that be for you? What is it that, that, that the desires of all of our lives is? If it, there's things that are good that we pursue, like you should pursue your career, or your family, those things are good. But when they reach that top spot, they become an idol. What is the one thing that engages and energizes your entire being? We'll see as we unpack this psalm, it looks at all these things. You, you can see in, uh, it looks at the, the emotions of worship, how you feel. It looks at the mind of worship, what you reason with. It looks at your will and, and talks about surrendering and bowing down. It looks at your reason, the mind, the will, and emotion. It looks at the entire being, the, the, all of who we are is drawn in to worship. And whatever we give that ultimate value, that ultimate top spot, that is the thing that engages and energizes us most. J.D. Walt says this, the question is not whether we worship, it is who or what we worship. Whatever or whoever it is that we order our lives around in order to make them work, that is our God. Worship is about security, personal security, family security, community security, national security, whether we turn, whatever we turn to and attach ourselves to for security, that is who or what we worship. For most, it is money. For many, it is image or physical appearance. Others, it is reputation. But only Jesus Christ can, can deliver true security. Everyone and everything else promises security in this life or in the next but it is a false God. Family, money, status, comfort, all these things we tend to pursue, especially here in the, this American dream. But if only, if only we think if we can just get that, whatever that is, if we can just get it, it would bring us happiness or if we would have joy, then we would have meaning. Then life would be okay if I can just grasp whatever that thing is. And if that thing is anything other than Jesus, it will never satisfy. And that's best case scenario. At worst, it could completely destroy you. Look at parents whose life have, has fallen apart when their last kid leaves for college. Look at the family, look at the spouse who lost their family because of they spent the last decade worshiping their career. Or the athlete who worshiped football and gave their life to it only to have a career-ending injury right before they make it. This stuff happens all the time, and those are extreme examples. But there are times where people have a false God, they spend their life worshiping that God, and it never delivers, or they fall short of meeting that God's expectations and that needs, and that ends up letting them down, backfiring, destroying their life, or at most, wasting it. And, and or hide the mirror because people are wasting away their life looking at this mirror, trying to experience the greatest thing that they desire. The greatest thing that we desire must be Jesus. That is who we are supposed to worship. 
Nothing else will ever satisfy. Nothing else will bring you abundance. Nothing else will bring you joy. Nothing else will bring you freedom. If we want to triumph, even in trials, if we want perseverance, even in the hard times, if we want to thrive, even in brokenness of this world, even when the world is throwing all that it has at you, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am. We have to realize his beauty and worship him. We have to bow down, it says. We have to study him. We have to let his beauty energize us. We have to let his might engage us. We have to let his power be our will, his will, our will. We have to surrender to his ways. We have to let him lift us up. We have to choose to worship God. If we worship him, that's when we are choosing healing, growth, and victory. As you worship those other things, they will always let you down. If you worship achievement and you fail that God, you won't be able to forgive yourself. If you worship love and romance or family and somehow you fail that God, you'll never be able to forgive yourself. But if we take this and we compare it to our God, who is a shepherd, and we are his people. He is the one God that forgives you even when you fail. He is the one God that died for you. That's why we worship, because it's him who brings abundant life. Another reason why we worship is not just because it, it gives us the life and the fulfillment and the satisfaction that we seek, but, but it, it transforms who we are. As a pastor, one of the things I see often from non-believers. One of the things I, questions I get all the time is why is the church so hypocritical, right? They, they hear things like the fruit of the spirit and they know that Jesus is supposed to be loving and kind and gentle and fighting for justice and all these things. And they look at the church and the church has got this reputation of not doing those things. And the truth is sometimes they're not right. Sometimes the church is being kind and gentle and loving, but they've got blinders on and they haven't seen it. But sometimes they are right and they've been hurt deeply but the actions of those that are in the church. The truth is there are times where our character doesn't match what we say we believe. So how do we, how do we change our character? Well, it's nothing we do. It's who we worship. It's by worshiping Jesus that our character is transformed into the one he wants us to be. I think about um, the ways they used to like clear out uh, rock for like a roadway or whatever. If they needed to move the rock, the way they would do it is they would use dynamite and they would explode it. Like, first off, that's really cool. Second off, there's a strategy to it, right? They, they wouldn't just put the dynamite on the rock face and blow it up because then you're just going to kind of send shards everywhere. You don't really know what's going to happen. But somebody who's a lot smarter than me figured out if you could put the dynamite in this place and that place in the rock, it would blow it up, make it look like this, and it would get this much out of the way. And they would drill down deep into the rock. And that's where they would put the explosive in order to blow it up and move it and change the, change the, the landscape so they could build the road. In the same way, when we worship the triune creator, when we worship God, the Father, when we worship the God of the Bible, it's like drilling the hole deep down in our heart and he's able to blow the bad things out of the way and change the trajectory of our life and change our character. Why do we worship? It's because that is how we are transformed and that is how we have life. So what is worship? What is worship? Worship, if, if that's why we do it, what is it? It is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something. 
It's the way, it's the way that engages and energizes our entire being. You'll hear me say that over and over again. In verses one, we see emotion, joy, singing. In verse six, we see the will being submitted. In verse eight, we see the mind and reason and thinking. It's in something, it's when we give something the ultimate value and it engages our entire being and energizes who we are. We see a powerful word in, in verses uh, two and verse seven. It says, why, it kind of says, this is what we do. We worship. Why do we do that? For the Lord is the great God, the king above all kings. Verse seven says, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. It's an inventory of the excellencies of God. Kind of the best way I can illustrate this is from the classic show, Antique Roadshow. Anybody know what I'm talking about? used to stay homesick from school and you'd watch Bob, uh, Bob Parker on the, the Wheel of Fortune. And then you could watch The Price is Right. I mean, you could watch, uh, what am I trying to say here? Antique Roadshow. So uh, first off, Antique Roadshow has gotten with the times and they have a TikTok. Um, I have TikTok. I had to delete it because it is ex- it's designed to be addicting and it is. You can waste hours on it, all right? So had to get rid of that. But back when I was on on here, I realized that Antique Roadshow has a TikTok, right? And you can scroll. I mean, spent way too long watching these, these little clips. The best part about it is you don't have to watch the long, boring show. They just show the highlights. And now I couldn't, I couldn't find re- this video to make sure I had all the details <coughs> right, right. So I'm going to ad-lib in here a little bit to make it work for the illustration. So if you find this video, don't. Don't take my integrity into question. I'm bending it a little bit to make it fit the illustration. All right, that's what's happening. But there's this lady, and she brings this, like, it looks like a garbage, been sitting out on the yard lawn ornament. That's one of those, like, Chinese dragons outside the Chinese restaurant. You guys know what I'm talking about? And it looks like, I mean, it's weathered. It doesn't look like it has any value. And I don't remember, she either got it at a a yard sale or her great-grandmother got it at a yard sale. It kind of been passed down. She didn't really know its worth. She hadn't been taking care of it. It just kind of sat in storage and collected dust. Or it might have even been in her yard. I don't remember the details exactly. But but there's just, she just hadn't been properly taken care of it. She didn't know if it was worth anything, didn't think it was worth anything. She takes it to Antique Roadshow just to kind of get it appraised, figure out what's going on with it, right? And the guy's looking at it, and he's, he's kind of gets quiet, and he starts to kind of unpack what's going on, and his voice is almost a little shaky. If you zoom in close, you might even be able to see sweat running down his head. Like, his hands are, like, it starts to change the way he's acting. The more he looks at it, the more he examines it. He goes and he talks to another colleague, trying to, like, the, you have to see the worth of it. Like, you got to come check this out. Is this what I think it is? They examine it a little bit closer, and they realize that it's worth an unbelievable amount of money, almost like life-changing money. Like, we're talking, I think it was $100 million, Some, I mean, an unbelievable amount of money. It's this ancient Chinese art that they don't even know how to do anymore. Like the practice of making this art piece is not even done because they, the people who did it didn't pass it down. Like they don't even know how to create it again. That's how rare and old this piece of, of Chinese art is. And you just see it. She's floored. There's this moment where like, no doubt she's going to go back and she's going to put it in a case or take good care of it, maybe sell it, who knows. But it changed the way they were interacting with it. It changed the way that they were talking, you could see that you see the first gentleman and, and his, his, his whole demeanor changes. 
it it almost like it engages and energizes his entire being. See what I did there, right? Why? I mean, is there emotional? His voice starts to quiver. It's it's in his mind. He does the research. He he talks to a friend. He knows what's going. That he studies it. He looks at all the different facets of what's going on, and then he's like super careful with it because he 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 realizes that he must be his will must be careful around it. All right, I'm stretching it a little bit here. Right, he wants to he wants to be careful. It's gonna she's gonna go back. It's gonna change the way she behaves around it because she realizes the worth of what she's holding. There's this sense of what we worship should engage and it should energize our entire being. That's what worship is. Yeah, we know why we should worship, but what is it? It is something that changes who you are. It's when you recognize the worth of something. The word worship comes from that. It's an old English word that that comes from worth-ship. Shocker, right? But it's when you, it's, you realize the worth of the creator and you bow down, you submit your will to him, you study him, you are emotionally, he changes you, he energizes you. Worship is giving all of who you are to the father. It is giving him your whole life. When we worship God, we see and understand his worth. We fall so deeply in love with him and his presence that we are transformed and live in accordance to his will. We give him, we ascribe that ultimate spot to him. So that's, that's why, and that's what, but how? How can we worship? One of the things that's easy to miss when you read this psalm is that it is all in the plural. Come let us sing for joy. Over and over again, it talks about he is our God. We are, we are his people. It's all in the plural. Now, it's very clear when we look at Jesus and Paul and other early church leaders that private worship is vital. And in fact, if we're going to worship, it's not just through song. It's not just through hearing of the word. There's different practices that we've seen all throughout. There's prayer and fasting. Hospitality is is. Uh, can transform. There's all kinds of methods of worship, and we don't have time to unpack all of those. But I want to look at two things. And the first one is that worship, yes, while it is private, it must be corporate. It's why we gather on Sundays. The whole psalm is written in the plural. Jesus, when he's teaching us to pray, it's our Father who is in heaven. It's all about the forgive us our sins, deliver us, deliver us from us from evil. The whole prayer is in the plural. When we sit down and we look at church history, this has shaped the way that we do liturgy. Because it's all about being together and corporate. It's about being, this is how, it's, it's, it's hard to argue at this point, that It is in corporate worship that we are truly transformed. Private worship is important and it happens, but the corporate worship is where we are truly changed. When worship is done in its public form, that is the real transforming experience. C.S. Lewis does this, demonstrates this incredibly. One of my, I forget which book it is, but when I I read it, it blew my mind. And he, taught, he was kind of a part of a, a, a tight-knit group. There's three friends, and they were close friends, right? And it was him, a guy named Ronald, and a guy named Charles. And they were like the best of friends, as close as you could be. And what, that one day, Ronald passes away. No, Charles passes away. 
and, and they're all kind of grieving and going through this. And C.S. Lewis makes this incredible discovery. Because he goes and he's going to meet with Ronald once again as they mourn the loss of Charles. And he has this expectation of like, now he's going to get more of his friend Ronald, right? Because he had the three of them and they were all kind of sharing each other. So when they gathered, they'd kind of, he wouldn't be able to get all of Ronald. He would be the three of them. They're kind of split between the three of them. And he had this expectation. He's like, well, now while we're grieving, at least I'll be able to have more of my friend Ronald. But to his surprise, he discovered that he actually experienced less of Ronald. Because there were certain parts of Ronald that only Charles could bring out. Certain times where there were certain banter or certain jokes that Charles would make, and the way that Ronald would react was something that C.S. Lewis himself couldn't bring out of of Ronald. And so he was surprised where he thought he was going to get more of his friend He got less of him. No one can draw out the entire personality of of another person. The only way you can truly know a person completely is in community. Now, the first time I read this, I kind of pushed back because I was like, I know my spouse better than I know anybody else. Like, I know Lauren at an incredibly deep level. We've been together for, I think, 14 years if you count dating. That's a long time. But you know what? When we were dating, I thought I knew her. And then I went to visit her and her family in North Carolina. And Lauren around her family was an aspect of Lauren that I had never known. I mean, you want to talk about country. She got, this isn't even a word, but it's the only way to put it. She got countryer around her family, right? The accent came out, the, her person, I mean, it was, it was comical. Like I couldn't believe it because it was a side of her, an aspect of her that I had never seen before after months of dating. It was, it was unbelievable. When she got comfortable around me and to see her comfort level around her family, which she was more comfortable with them than she was any of our friends at school, right? Unbelievable. So you think then, okay, now I would know her. But then we had Addie Lee. And to see her become a mother, and the way that she loved Addie Lee, and the way she parented Addie Lee, it was a whole nother aspect that I didn't even know was there. The way that Addie Lee brings that out of her. And then you would think, okay, we've got it figured out. I mean, she, I've seen her as a mom, I've seen her as a parent. And we add another child with a completely different personality, one that's very similar to her. And it brings out a whole nother aspect of who she is. And the only way that we can truly know that completely a person is in, the, is in community. <clears throat> now that, those are all finite people, and that is true of them. How much more true of an infinite God must that be? You can study the word on your own, and you should. You can pray and you can fast on your own, and you should. You can sing worship songs on your own, and you should. All right, especially me where you can't hear me, right? You can listen to sermons online on your own. You don't have to come to church to do all of those things on your own, but you have to come to church if you're going to do them corporately. You want to see the mighty God? You want to get to know him on a deeper level? See how he has worked in the lives of someone that comes from a different uh, economic class as you, from you, someone who grew up in a different country 
from you, someone who has a different background from you. When we come together and we are diverse, that's when we get to see a God that we get to know him on a deeper level than we could ever know him on our own by just listening to a sermon online or, or singing in the shower. Those things are great. You should do those things, but you'll never fully know God until you do those things corporately. Worship is vital, but it has to be done corporately. We have to gather together. That's the only way that we will know the fullness, that we can get to know the fullness of our creator. And the next thing we see, it's corporately, and it's also done rhythmically. Now, yes, this is a psalm, so it's supposed to be a song. There's a rhythm to it. But we see a, a very distinct pattern that is not just in this psalm, but it's in many psalms. And we actually see it as worship unfolds in church history. We see that this kind of rhythm of worship continues on in liturgy and corporate worship all throughout church history. We see there's, a, there's praise is how it starts out. Then there's submission and confession. And then there's listening to God's words at the end. That's where it's kind of unpacking what's going on in the wilderness. So there's praise, submission, and listening. This is that, that emotion, that will, and that reason. There's a rhythm and it goes, oh, and it kind of repeats itself. And you see it repeated out through many Psalms. And the first time that this was brought to life to me was during the pandemic. When, the, when everything shut down, we, we had a reset, reset on the rhythms of life. There's was, there was things that we would do normally, routines that we would get into, rhythms where we would do the same thing every day or certain days of the week. We had this pattern of life that we got into, and then it was all shaken up. It was all changed. It was all different. And even now, things life is getting back to normal, if you want to call it that. But there's been drastic changes, and our rhythms have been transformed. What we have to understand is, is worship must be a part of our rhythms. When you look at your life, when you look at your day-to-day -day life, when you look at your week-to-week -week life, month to month, as you kind of look at everything, is corporate worship, if we're supposed to do it corporately, is that a part of your regular rhythm? We have to add it into our rhythm. We see praise, confession, and God's word. It's rhythmic. So for me, we have church. How we're going to make this for revive? We have church every Sunday. We're not making a change there, right? But when we come to church, it is something that we should be a part of every week. Now. We all know, especially here where we've been hit with COVID and strep throat and sicknesses, it doesn't mean you can be here every week. And I'm not, I don't want to be legalistic about this. I don't want it to sound like I'm scolding you, right? There are times where you might even should take a break from us, right? Take a, you don't have to, I'm not saying be here every week, but if you want to worship corporately, if you want to worship like God has called you to worship, you have to make weekly gathering a priority. It has to be added into your rhythm, into your routine. And then even taking it down a little bit more micro, we look at that pattern of praise, confession, God's word, this rhythm that has shaped church, church history for thousands of years. And it actually ch shapes our church services here at Revive. If you think about how we kind of do worship each week, there's praise and there's singing there's confession or there's a time of prayer where you can confess and you can praise. You can think and reflect on what God is doing. That's what that time of prayer is set apart for. And then there's God's word where we have teaching. We follow that rhythm on Sunday mornings. Praise, confession, God's word. 
It's an order that that kind of sets the tone. And I think we can improve on it. We can add, there's elements that I want to add. There's certain aspects of our worship service that I want to uh, maybe tweak and change a little bit. So I'm not saying that that's perfect. I'm not saying it has to be in that order, but those elements are a part of each and every week. There could be times where we do communion at the end of the service, or we move the time of the prayer to the end of the service. There's still going to be confession. There's still going to be time for those things, but it might not be in that order. But there's a rhythm to our service that follows this practice. So for us at Revive, that's what we're going to do. We're going to meet weekly. We're going to have the rhythm of praise, confession, and God's word each week. And, it, and it's we're not some kind of big production, okay? And I know that. So, so what I'm getting at is we have to be here for the whole service. You need to be here on time, and we don't need to leave early. Now, life happens. <laughs> and the end of this uh, passage focuses highly on rest. And the whole point of kind of that unpacking of, of how God's people weren't listening, weren't worshiping, and rest left them. I would much rather you be here 20 minutes late and not stressed out and fighting <laughs> than be here early and, and mad at the world. Okay, so, so that matters. So I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm scolding here, but the, the, the way we do service is intentional. And I want us to experience that time of praise. I want us to experience the time of confession and the time of hearing God's word. So when life happens and you have to be late, be late. Or if life happens and you need to leave early, leave early. If something happens, look, we're not a big production. We don't have to start on time so that the next service can start on time so that the next service can start on time. If we need to start 10 minutes late, we'll start 10 minutes late. Because we're a family and I'd rather us be here together worshiping and, and experiencing all of this rhythm, all of these elements. I want, I want to make sure that we're all experiencing that. So I'm not scolding. I don't want you to hear that. There are times where I'm late. But I think we need to make it a priority to both be at church and a priority to be here on time and leave on time. And the last thing is this. Worship includes a variety of disciplines. Singing, reading, listening to scripture, praying, fasting, Christian friendship, hospitality. Those are all things that we want to implement here and there in our worship services. So they may look different, but they're all going to have those phrases. And that kind of concludes our mission series. That's our goal. Now, I meant to kind of do some of this last week, but I forgot to. So I want to kind of give some dates, some concrete things that we're going to do, kind of our action plans. Next week, we will have our box out where we begin bringing in the non-perishable goods. So if you go to the grocery store this week, grab some ramen or or some cans of soup or something and bring it to church with you on Sunday and we'll start to fill that bat, that box up out in the lobby. We're also going to have sign-up sheets for our small groups. There's going to be a couple of time slots. We're not going to be able to make everybody happy, okay? If you can't make it, that's okay. I understand that people have different schedules. You're not always going to be able to be at every gathering. That's fine. My hope is that by the fall, we'll have two groups. So you'll have two time slots where you'll be able to uh, make it a, a priority to meet together in community like we talked about last week. So there'll be sign-up sheets. That that will begin the week of February 19th. So it's, I think it's three or four weeks from today. We have It's, it's winter break for the school. Um, you might be traveling. That's okay. But so whenever we, whatever day and time we decide to have that meeting, it'll, it'll happen on the week of February 19th. We'll begin signing up for it next week. You can begin praying now praying how God would have you involved, praying how your schedule would, will work out so that you could be a part of it. 
The following week will be our first Sunday meal, February 26th. You can add it to your calendar. It's going to be the time where we eat after service. The church will provide the food. It's going to be a chance where we can just get to know each other on um, more, more of a surface level hanging out, talking about things. It will not be as deep as the small group conversations. So, but that's going to happen February 26th. And then at this, these gatherings, both the small groups and the Sunday meals, we'll begin talking about and planning our, ne- our next mission project. Um, I like the idea of doing the Easter baskets again. That's in April, so we might be able to squeeze something in before that. We'll, we'll talk about it. Here's the deal. This is stuff, there will be hiccups getting all this stuff rolling. There may be some times where we have to tweak some things about the service or tweak some of our meetings, figuring out how to make it work. We don't want to just sit by going through the motions of church. And these dates and these times and these these action items that we've talked about each each week, they give us concrete ways to continue and start participating in the kingdom of heaven on earth. And that's our goal. That's our mission. We want to see his kingdom come. We want to see God's will done here on earth. And that's, I think that these are the ways that we accomplish that. It got a little businessy at the end, but that's our goal. This is our vision. This is our mission. We want to we practice worship. And through that worship, we, you have to have community. And through this worshiping community, we want to see the mission take place. So that's where we're going. Next week, we start a series called One Another. It's going to be a a relationship series, all right? There will be some friendship-type conversations, but then there will also be some some marriage and deep relationship conversations. I encourage you to be here for that whole series as we navigate what it looks like being in relationship, because that's never easy. There's always complications and ups and downs, and that starts next week. It's called One Another. All right, let's pray, and we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, we thank you.